and I'm excited today to present to you a crossover with friend of the show Rob Rousseau who has been super supportive of me forever 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 um since I've online known him super supportive and yeah this has been a while in the making and I cannot express how grateful I am to know Rob Uh, but this episode is about the gap in Canadian media that exists which you'll hear more about establishment journalist gatekeeping, uh, what we've learned from the last six months, the Green Party fiasco of last week, and how Rob should run for prime minister, and maybe I should run for office, who knows. Um, But anyways, I wanted to ask if anybody wants to support this project, which is a collaboration between my friends and I, which is fun. So many friends have been involved, and that's why the project can thrive. Uh, To support us at Patreon forward slash Habibdi, please. Um, which will be in the show notes. It'd be nice. We're trying to upgrade the SoundCloud a bit. And I've been recording on a Chromebook, which is not the best idea, but it works. Um, But it would be a little bit helpful to fix that situation. But it's okay. You don't have to financially support us, but it's nice. And I want to buy my friends coffee sometimes because we have fun meetings outside in a socially distanced way. But the bigger thing is that this podcast is joining Harbinger Media Network, which is building a better left media in Canada, which is super exciting. So I'd check them out. Also, will be in the show notes, the link. Um, and yeah, so this is our weekly check-in. It's kind of a bleak week with the U.S. election, even though this is a Canadian-focused podcast, as you'll hear from Rob and I. The U.S. kind of shifts our goalposts. We're always thinking that we're better because of what's going down there. And so I think it's good to think about what's also happening here in Canada. Also, how the media has so many gaps and supporting other like leftist independent media would be nice. But we'll see what happens. But and I want to give a a check in. So the project's going well so far. I have the fall lineup planned. But if you have any suggestions for winter, my email is habibdibleez with a B uh, at gmail.com. And I have open DMs. I get back to them kind of slowly or never but I I read a lot of them and then if when I have the time I go back and I try to be very thoughtful with responses um so I do go back eventually so if you have a guest in mind please let me know I have some exciting people coming up uh we have Howell Meyer coming up we have Nikki Ashton we have Miriam Haddad we have uh, Jasbir Poir Alex V. Green so some great names uh, Vicky Osterweil's coming up. Um, we're just editing a bit of thing, things, audio. Anyways, anyways, hope you all have a great weekend. And it's fun chatting. But uh, how's it been going with you the last couple of months, Nashua? It's like, you know, it's uh, this global pandemic, big global crisis, all kinds of crazy shit going on. How have you been uh, coping with all that? What's been going on? Um, I've, I've been okay. I like got some hobbies. I ran a reading group. I, I broke and I got hinged last week. Um, but I'm okay. How about you? What is hinge? Hinge, hinge is a platform to meet people that you might potentially want to date. Oh, okay. 
All right. <laughs> but it's unhinged. It's unhinged. It's horrible. <laughs> okay. Um, it's awful. Twitter is better. <laughs> yeah. I would argue. Okay. How about you, Rob? How do you spend your days in Montreal? Um. Well, so my 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 kid is back at daycare now for the last uh, six weeks or so. And so for a long time, I was just spending basically every single moment of the day with him for like the five months or whatever, from March to mid August, I guess. So that was interesting. And uh, since he's been back, I've had a little bit more time to do stuff. So now just kind of trying to, you know, do my create my content, do my podcasting, do my tweets and videos and all my other random stuff that I do. Just kind of doing that. How was, uh, how was the first day back? Stuff. How was the first day back? Did you get emotional? I did. Yeah, he was fine. I got super emotional. <laughs> oh, he was fine. <laughs> uh, yeah, he was fine. But also, I don't think that he was like, I think he just thought this was like a uh, like a minor thing. We're just going to go back for a couple of days and we're going to go back to just hanging out all the time. And then once he realized that, like, no, no, we do this every day now. He's like, wait a second. And so he's been not he's been not super thrilled with that development. I think he preferred just like hanging out with his dad every single day and like chilling out and playing in the backyard and watching TV and stuff. I think that was if you asked him, that's probably what he would rather be doing with his days. That's so funny that he was fine and you weren't fine. But now it's like the tables have turned. And what are like what are the precautions uh, with COVID? Yeah, I mean, they're doing the best they can, obviously, with daycare and a bunch of like three, four year olds and stuff. You can't really like put face masks on them for an entire day but the the educators are being really careful about it um i've got my my stepson is in high school and uh he's you know has to wear a mask every day they're taking all the precautions they can and we have we are having a like a like a second wave here um I don't I would have to look at the figures. I don't know how much schools have been have been like playing into that. I'm not sure if that's really the the main sources of of uh, infection and, and spreading of the of uh, covid. So, I mean, they're doing the best they can, um, I guess. It's just this whole thing has just been kind of like a, a rolling experiment, basically, that no one really knows like how it's going to work. When, what about Toronto? Like there's a whole second wave happening there, too. Right. Right now, isn't there? Yeah. Which obviously. um impacts my hinge game um i'm kidding um (laughs) uh, no but actually so like the app has adapted for it which i think is super funny where they just keep encouraging people to like go on these uncomfortable virtual uh, dates but uh yeah i think i think toronto is super interesting because um People, I think, kind of some people started relaxing, but the narrative that's spun is that it's like younger people spreading it without understanding that younger people tend to be essential workers. Um, yeah. Which is like a media issue, right? That's like media. Yeah, they haven't really done a good job of, I mean, both on a government level and in the media level, like making clear like what what the regulations are, what the what everyone should be doing. I saw Doug Ford get asked about this yesterday and just gave this like long rambling thing about the extremely confusing rules about like you can have a certain number of people in a club up until 11 yeah. and then it goes down. And then after 11, the, the spread of the disease, then it becomes more effective. So you have to and it's just no one fucking knows what they're doing. Uh, it's been completely mismanaged by by his government. And uh, and he's just like, no, it's very simple. But it's I don't think it is very simple. Yeah. 
And the like to me, the funniest thing too is like people who don't know how to hold a position where they're like, even though he's a conservative government, they're like giving him a lot of bones. They're like, oh, but like, look, he's actually like he's actually like come like been willing to come and be like sciencey and like verse- they they compare him to like Trump. And I'm just like, no, he's like still bad at this. Yeah, <laughs> like, well, just this is the- he's not like being like. Yeah. This is the problem we always have know. in this country, right? Where we have right wing dipshit leaders, but because they're like 15% more confident than the like right wing psychos <laughs> that run the United States of America, everyone's like, look, this is great. We're in what a great position we are. And we have the same thing in Quebec with uh, Francois Legault also. Um, but yeah, it's just like we, we it's the way politics has worked in this country for so long is where it's everything's graded on this curve where if it's not as bad as the United States of America, that it's like acceptable uh, and it's allowed a lot of like very shitty people to uh, to thrive uh, for for fucking decades in this country. Yeah, like if the bar is like, oh, Ford is actually doing so much better than um, Trump, who's like, who's like killing himself yeah, right now. Just like intentionally spreading <laughs> uh, COVID to his <laughs> his close advisors and, and followers. If you're not doing that, then oh, you look really great in comparison. Yeah. And so Rob Ford right now and the like the weirdest thing to me is like there there have been some media pieces that have been uh, flattering of Mr. Ford during this time. Um, that from pundits who usually do would would never do that with a conservative person or leader. Yeah. Well, and also because of the weird dichotomy between how we cover like more left leaning governments and more right leaning governments, where it's it's the same kind of thing. It's everything's graded on a curve. Where I'm sure if the Liberal Party was still in charge of Ontario, they would be probably getting savaged right now by the media and by all kinds of people for the the response, even if it was exactly the same or even better. Uh, but because there's a big goofy uh, right wing dumbass in charge, it's like, oh, good job. You like listen <laughs> to a scientist. Congratulations. You're doing you're doing great. Uh, and it's like they're these leaders are held to just a completely different fucking standard. It's kind of like infantilizing of like, <laughs> yeah, treat him kind no, of he's like, like a, a baby toddler. Yeah. Yeah. Good job, Doug. They're like extremely proud of him. <laughs> um, yeah, they're they're extremely proud of him. Every time I see like uh, somebody being like, oh, he's he wears a mask. Yeah. And they'll be like, Donald Trump won't wear a mask. And I'm like, Donald Trump is not in this country. Yeah. Like, he's not part of this. He's not part of this nation. <laughs> Maybe we uh, can start having slightly okay. higher standards for what we expect from the people yeah. that are like making decisions that that are affecting the lives of like millions of people. Uh, and not just treat yeah, them like they're like they're big four year olds who just like, you know, got on base at the local little league game. <laughs> yeah. And I think um, the big thing with Doug Ford's little press conferences, not to be Ontario centric, uh, is that he just he just like never seems that smart. Like you said, like he he couldn't outline or operationalize any of the rules. And I'm like, you are the premier of this province. If you don't know the rules, why is anybody else supposed to know the rules? And then you're going to ticket them. Yeah. Um, which is the wildest thing to me, the individual tickets that have been happening uh, versus just like proper public health messaging. No. Yeah. Nothing makes sense about about the response um, in Ontario or, or here, frankly. Uh, it's been completely botched, but but like we were saying, they're, they're getting judged on this completely different curve. Um, and now we're heading into this like phase two of the pandemic. Uh, it's going to be a, a very shitty uh, winter period. 
And uh, I'm not looking forward to it, frankly. <laughs> uh, it's going to suck. But um, OK, so we're here we've finished our chit chat. We've been doing a DM tag for a little while to try and figure this out. I'm happy we were able to lock down, lock something down here. Yeah, yeah. This has actually been this has been months in the making, but I think uh, it's an opportune week to talk to each other. Yes. Uh, given given the, the events that have unfolded. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so. I mean, one of the primary things we've already gotten into this a little bit, but one of the primary things I wanted to have you on the show to do is to talk shit about the truly uh, egregious state of the media in Canada and how bad it is. And they've been in rare form this week. There was a couple of pieces in the National Post that just came out the last in the last week, which were like really just like exceptionally <laughs> stun- stunning, like taking it to the next level. Just uh, these yeah, are the like brain worms. Yeah, exactly. These are like pieces like written by 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 prominent columnists in the National Post who is their entire job to explain like how politics works to people. And they don't seem to have like any understanding of like what that actually means or any kind of like history or any grounding in any kind of like actual reality. And I guess it's what we can expect from post media. But uh, it, was this, it was really just stunning. So we had number one, the piece uh, week or so ago. Uh, we need to admit Canada has a left wing populism problem. Uh, that was by yeah. uh, Dennis, Dennis Sarev. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's grandiose promises betray his populist approach. Famous left wing populist Justin Trudeau. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, okay, so the the other one that I wanted to mention was by Leslin Lewis, also in the National Post. There's a socialist coup unfolding in Canada, and we taxpayers oh, we are funding wish. it. Yeah. <laughs> Don't threaten me with a we good time, uh, Leslin. Under this socialist revolution, there's no need to confiscate your property that can simply redistribute your wealth. And it's just, it's crazy to me that these, like, these people are getting huge platforms in a national newspaper and just don't seem to have any any understanding of, like, who the people are in our government, like what politics is, what power is. And it's just, it's really unbelievable. Like the state of the the media in this country is like truly, truly abysmal. And it makes me very depressed. It's, yeah, it's hilarious because Leslin Lewis, uh, who ran for conservative party leadership for anybody who doesn't know or didn't follow that, um, she knows better. She knows enough about the landscape of Canadian politics to understand that the NDP has even moved towards the center with the removal of the word socialist in the party constitution. Like there's not even, you can't even argue there's a socialist coup when you don't even have anybody that has a constitution elected in parliament that says the word socialist. Like yeah. other countries, and other countries, at least like, at least you have like something in not America, but like, let's say like, I don't know, like South America or something. People have socialist in their constitutions. Yeah. Like we don't even well, have that happening right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, as we know, socialism, according to, to these folks in the National Post, is just when the government does anything, when it does anything at all, especially yeah. when it tries to help anybody. That's a big no, no. That's socialism. That's a socialist coup. And I guess the one the thing that I wonder is, like you alluded to the fact that like people like Leslie Lewis should know better. Uh, but sometimes I wonder if it's just if they're purely just being cynical about this kind of language and they're, they're just like, you know, tossing red meat to the the rubes that that read this kind of shit. Or if they've like, as we've seen a lot in America, whether they're really starting to believe their own bullshit about about this stuff and whether they actually think that Trudeau is some kind of like far leftist. Like, what do you think it is? Do you think it's pur- purely cynical or do you think that they've they're actually starting to believe this nonsense? 
I, I don't know, because, you know, one of the lines that stuck out to me that was one of those um, pull pull lines, like pull out lines where like the, the editor pulled it out to like bold it and uh, make it like a centerpiece of the piece was that Trudeau is perceived as an evangelist for a new type of 21st century socialism. And I, I was just like, how, how does anybody believe that when Trudeau will like stand up and give a speech and be like anti-socialist and his foreign policy or like takes on Venezuela and things like that? Um, so I, I think I think some of the Q vapors are floating up here. Yeah, like, definitely. <laughs> that's what I, I think. I think that they're getting the flavor of like some people are getting them maybe emboldened. I think that um, the the Serb, I saw a lot of discourse from like Leslin Lewis and others thinking that Serb, um, which is the $2,000 a month, so you can live during this pandemic safely to a degree, um, was a socialist act. And like I would have never said that so- Serb is a socialist act. It was a public health and safety measure, in my opinion. Yeah, well, I mean, that was the whole but, point. It was, it's not just to give people money and they're saying, well, dear, you're giving people more money than they'd earn at their jobs. But it's like, well, this the whole point is that we need people to not go to their jobs so they don't in, we don't like inflame this public health crisis and get more people sick and more people killed. It's pretty it's not very complicated, uh, but they can't quite seem to wrap their minds around this very basic concept. What do you think? Do you think they're believing it? Do you think they they, they actually think Justin Trudeau is like a socialist messiah? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, like, they, I'm not sure. Like, definitely, I, I think similar to America, you had the situation where, you know, you have these these right wing guys in charge, and they they kind of you know created this operation in tandem with with people, the the Murdoch family and people to create this kind of right wing media infrastructure. And but there was a very clear separation between the, like the actual politicians who knew better. And just like the rubes who they're like, they're, you know, getting all outraged about various whatever, whatever topic of the day is in order to vote for conservative policies that basically benefit uh, the wealthy and strip the social safety net. Like there was a very clear distinction between these two groups. And just over the years, that distinction has become a lot more blurry. And now you have a lot of people like in charge in politics who come from that exact right wing media ecosystem. And that is all the only media they pay attention to. And I think they do believe a lot of this nonsense. I, I definitely think that's something we're in like the early stages of that here. Like we have these far right groups that talk about Justin Trudeau, like is this is this subversive communist or whatever. He's he's, <laughs> yeah. he's uh, you know what is what is he doing? He's working with uh, working with George Soros to to import refugees in order to like destroy the mm-hmm. white race or whatever. Like, and these are what these yeah, far yeah, right groups suicide. believe. Yeah, exactly. And there's yep. becoming much less separation between what these like far right uh, wackos believe and the actual people that are like in power in, in right wing politics in this country. And it might not be quite the same level of extreme their beliefs, but there's definitely some sympathy going on between these two kind of camps. Uh, and, and even though like Bernier was defeated in the last election, who really tried to lean hard into that. There's there's been a lot of crossover just with the mainstream conservative movement, and I don't see that being something that's going to like stop anytime soon. Especially if they realize that they can turn that into an electoral force, uh, it, they're just going to continue making those overtures, and, and more and more right wing politicians, just like we saw in the states, are going to start swilling this Kool Aid and believing all this nonsense. That's my yeah, and opinion. with uh, with I think you're right, and with O'Toole. 
you see in his um, counter throne speech, which also just recently happened, or his counter his response to the throne speech, um, the signaling that he does that's like anti Chinese, anti communist. Uh, it's it's very like uh, it was like kind of there was a few hat tips to uh, what Stephen Harper called old stock Canadians. Um, yes. And I, so I, I, and when that happened, there were even people in the conservative party when Stephen Harper made that comment who said that was not okay. But when O'Toole, um, and his kind of made kind of hat tips and nods to some of the same language and mirrored, um, in the response to the throne speech and no one in Canadian media brought up any of those connections that I saw right away. And I was a kid when Stephen Harper did that speech and I remember. Yeah. yeah and, and um, just at the leadership, the conservative leadership, um, event you had andrew Shear talking about the post-millennial and telling young conservatives to go out and read the post-millennial yeah. this is a a publication that that uh, provides a platform to people like jack Posobiec, to ian miles chong andy no these guys are like fascist propagandists who work with far-right groups to like launder these ex- very extreme messages um and you have our our former conservative leader like openly telling people to go and 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 read this this shit um, so that's I mean, that's as, as troubling a sign as any that our conservative movement is kind of starting to go down that path. Um, and again, like you pointed out, no one in the media said, like, hey, this is a problem. It's a problem that our our, uh, our conservative leaders are like pushing people to look at this stuff uh, because they're paralyzed by this. Oh, I can't be partisan. If I if I if I mm-hmm. say something about the post millennial, they'll think that I'm left wing or they'll think that I don't believe in freedom of the press or whatever. Um, and this is how this is how publications like the Post Millennial, like Rebel Media, have allowed themselves to become ingratiated, like with the political establishment, uh, by playing on this this like liberal fear of of appearing to be partisan in any way. Um, and you see it happening again. And it's that's uh, that, I think that's a, a kind of a, a scary sign for everyone. Yeah, and like uh, not to not to like praise this publication, but the only publication I used to see pushback sometimes was like freelancers paid like a horrible rate at Vice. Um, but that was like five years ago. And you see maybe like one piece like being like, oh, Canadian media has this type of issue. But usually it was a more of an aesthetic issue, like a diversity issue, not like a diversity of takes or critical takes issue. Um, yeah. If that makes sense. And I think that I think certain people at Vice, I mean, I've got issues with Vice too. They're, they're like ties to the national security establishment and like kind of a pro-imperialist uh slant that they have a lot of the times when it comes to foreign policy stuff. Mm-hmm. I know like Mac Lamaru is someone who's been on this show before and he's done great work for Vice talking about the far right mm-hmm. in Canada. So they, I think they've done a good job talking about that. Uh, another example too is you have you have things like Press Progress who will who will call out Rebel Media and the Post Millennial and this stuff, but it seems like they get treated with less respect by the by the media, uh, or they get they get lumped into the same category like oh it's Rebel Media Post Millennial and then you have Press Progress it's all kind of the same thing yeah, that's just the left wing version, even when they're like factually pointing out you know the ties to, to the far right that these these politicians have and doing like a pretty valuable public service in many cases. But then they get dismissed. They don't get treated with the same level of like respect or inclusivity from the sort of establishment journalism uh, set. And what's interesting is that uh, like kind of I would say conservative right wing type people will call like CBC like uh, crazy socialists <laughs> or um, yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll just be like and, and CBC is like, no, CBC like um, sanitized the Black Lives Matter protests. They've uh, used pictures of 
uh, black people who've died that are inappropriate. And then when the white guy who went to go kill Justin Trudeau um, did that, they used his like cute, like little fishing, you know, the typical Oakley glasses. Of course. Yeah. Um, I'm in my truck. Which I'm sure that they would do the same way if it would have been a Muslim person that had tried to kill uh, Justin I, I'm Trudeau. Positive. Or done that. I'm sure I'm, they would have done. Yeah. yeah. They would have shown a nice family picture in there. Yeah. I'm positive. Yeah. And, and so like, um, that's, that's your quote unquote, like liberal media or whatever is just like, uh, still having issues with that. And, um, yeah, it's, it's funny that the right, the right knows how to hold a position. Like as much as I, I can respect that they actually like know how to like respect themselves. <laughs> yeah. And on a political level too, they, they understand how to wield power when they have it to actually like enforce an ideology. Um, whereas people, what, what passes for the left here and it seems like elsewhere, uh, when they actually have power, they're so paralyzed by wanting to seem nonpartisan that they end up passing the, you know, a watered down version of their agenda or, you know, taking preemptively negotiating with themselves, taking things off the table in order to like build mm-hmm. this, this magical consensus with these so-called like reasonable people on the right who are going to, who are going to work with them, which is never, ever reciprocated. No, never. And also you see, I I think like you see that same type of, um, uh, you see that same type of approach to politics sometimes like with certain parties right now, because they're just so enmeshed with the media that, um, yeah, like you see, like sometimes the NDP will like filter what they say. I don't know. They used to be a bit more aggressive unless I'm like romanticizing my memory of the NDP. What do you think, Rob? (laughs) Was the NDP more aggressive before? I don't know. Uh, The only time I've ever, I've been really impressed with, with the NDP was, I think they ran a pretty good campaign in the, in the federal election campaign. I think that was when you started to see Jagmeet Singh be a little bit more clear with the kind of like economic populist message. And obviously not as far as I would like it to go, but he's been, he's always been pretty good on a number of other issues on criminal justice and other things. But that I felt was like, okay, this is like the NDP could be doing this all the time. This usually using this kind of like uh, class based rhetoric, using his kind of natural charisma to, 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 uh, you know, generate excitement. And it just seemed like it was, it was, they turned that faucet on in the election campaign mm-hmm. and you kind of got a glimpse of what they could be. And then after that, it's just like, okay, now we're going to, we're going to go back to sort of our sort of middling, uh, approach our, our sort of like a polite opposition party thing. And, um, uh, that's it. I, I would like to see that kind of approach from the NDP all the time, but it doesn't seem like that's really an option, uh, for them for whatever reason, whether, whether it's the sort of people pulling the, pull, holding the purse strings behind the scenes, the people like in the sort of in charge of the party establishment, they obviously don't really want to go down that road. And, uh, I think that's to their detriment. I mean, I think that's the thing that's kind of holding them back from from becoming more of a like an established political force in Canada. Yeah. And when I like watch them do media interviews. um, So during two weeks ago, during the throne speech, there was a number of interviews done. um, They just like don't go in the same way that I don't know the way they could go in um, or. There's nothing to me, they're externally watching. There's nothing about them that distinguishes them from certain liberals, certain the answers. No. And it's like in the same way that in the same way that that I think people in liberals have been kind of like uh, brainwashed by the right in order to like always kind of frame everything in a way that's appealing to them. 
I think what you're describing is kind of a similar phenomenon. It's like we have to we have to try to be appealing to the liberals as much as possible. But even when any, when Jagmeet Singh, for example, criticizes Trudeau about anything, even about his like very like public uh, corruption scandals or anything very legitimate that he should be commenting on, you have these deranged liberal partisans uh, basically saying that like he's he's just as bad as the conservatives and he's yeah. like you know <laughs> it's just completely untethered from any kind of reality. Yeah, and like speaking of that, like the coverage of Me to We was kind of abysmal. Um, yeah, I don't know if you saw anything really good, but I I was waiting for somebody. I saw like one piece in Ricochet that was interesting, but it wasn't one Ricochet's small media, which is okay. But um, there was nothing that was like really cutting in anything that's like a mainstream publication. When they could have they could have had somebody um, at the Toronto Star give a more like I don't know put Justin Trudeau's feet to the fire from like a left perspective. Cause everything was painted as like conservatives mad at Justin Trudeau about me to we. Yeah. And if, yeah, if, and if you, if you criticize him about this like very serious corruption scandal, then you're just helping them somehow. And it's like, it becomes this, like it, it's, it's impossible to even hold our liberal leadership accountable for anything because okay, well, you're just helping the conservatives. Uh, and it's, I'm, I know I'm extremely tired of this framing. This is like the framing that I think allowed Trudeau to survive this election. Um, it's the, it's the same kind of song and dance they've been, they've been performing for decades and that it continued to do is that like, well, you have to, we have to be in charge or else then you're going to get the mean conservatives and that's it. And like, it's, it's, it's really frustrating to see this continue to happen. This conversation, this like never ending dialogue about this and you keep waiting um, for someone to, uh, to turn that on its head, just like it's very similar to America, how it was, it's been the same thing with the Democrats and Republicans for, for decades and decades. Um, and that's how the Democrats have kind of justified, uh, uh, having people vote for them for a long time, even if they don't really share any of the same values. It looked like Bernie Sanders was maybe going to turn that on its head this time. It was feeling pretty good for a little while there. Yeah. Uh, and then went <laughs> right back to the, right back to the status quo. But this is, this is how, uh, the neoliberals in America and in Canada have managed to like maintain their iron grip on power uh, for for a long time now is by by, you know, just showing that like, oh, if you ever go against what we're doing and our sort of very middling approach to progressive policies, which is mostly just like rhetoric and nothing else. Well, if you don't like that, then you're going to get the the, the stick. Uh, the mean conservatives are going to take take power. And it's like I just keep waiting for that to for that endless dichotomy to end it just seems like it's just never going to happen like i so i was I, i've had a few conversations with people where they're like oh at least you have an ndp like you have a labor party and maybe i'm like hypercritical but i've been like i've pushed back on it um but uh i've heard the argument that america the two-party system is what gets them into this trap that we're saying we see in canada and why, why do you think we're in this trap? Do you think it's because we have three parties and not even we have more than three parties, as we know from the events of last uh, week, um, but but uh, which is we can talk about the Green Party after. But yeah, do you what do you like? Why? How do you think we got into this trap in Canada without having this two party system? Uh, I think part of it is I think part of it is is first past the post. So it's like mm -hmm. the, the benefits of the parliamentary system that we're supposed to have, I think, are kind of mitigated by first past the post when we end up dealing with the exact same problems with vote splitting and allowing situations to happen. Like like uh, when when Stephen Harper became a, a majority government while getting like 35 percent of the popular vote or something like that because of vote splitting. Uh, this is I mean, this is ex the exact reason that I felt so fucking annoyed and betrayed by Justin Trudeau when he was elected, because mm -hmm. 
I, for one, even though I was dubious and skeptical about some of the promises he was making, he seemed pretty adamant and clear that he was planning on reforming our, our voting system and instituting some kind of ranked choice balloting or some kind of like proportional representation, which what I thought would maybe uh, eliminate this problem and would like have us be able to participate in democracy um, without having to like think about, okay, well, what if I vote for this party that I want to, is that going to help the conservatives and having to make this kind of like calculation every time you go to vote for an, in a, in an election? Um, and of course, that did not happen. And so I think we're saying we're left with a lot of the same problem. It's nice to have uh, more than two parties, I think, but um, it's not really manifesting in a very democratic way. And you see, like you saw, I think in the, in the last election, I think the NDP lost, lost a lot of ground, even though they ran mm-hmm. a good campaign, partially because people got scared by the idea of, conserv- of the conservatives forming the next government and they vote for the Liberal Party to be safe. So I think, you know, it, it would be nice. I think the parliamentary system is better than whatever passes for democracy in the United States, which is just like a fucking disaster. But I think as long as we have first past the post, we're still going to run into these same problems. Yeah, and I remember uh, Trudeau with the proportional representation, but that's not... I don't know why that doesn't get brought up by the media again. <laughs> Nobody brings... Like, no one in media brings it up. Yeah. Well, it's it's because I think a lot of people in the media basically just see the, their role as being stenographers for the government and to not <laughs> challenge power in any way, um, which is... It's, that's why our Canadian... Why Canadian media sucks so much. And uh, I think I think a lot of too what we're talking about in terms of the poly, the, the the problems with the media and right wing media and 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 right wing perception of how the media functions and how the liberal party functions is that they view uh, the liberals as being the left, uh, which is not true. I mean, this is mm-hmm. like a center right party, if anything. If you look at their actions in climate policy, in foreign policy, in any number of issues, uh, this is like a center right party. But they get framed by the right as being these these leftist radicals, uh, and then they think the the media, which is also very centrist and very uh, very very uh, committed to like enforcing keeping the status quo in place, uh, in being non ideological, then they get framed as being far leftists as well because they're basically just towing the liberal party line a lot of the time. Uh, but it just betrays a basic lack of understanding about what these parties stand for and who they are. Um, and I, that's a, that's kind of a, I don't know how you're supposed to resolve that. Yeah, and there's not really a media that will hold that will hold like any of the platform points accountable. I don't know that we'll like even talk about them after the fact. But yeah, I think I think Canadian media, like you're right, they're stenographers. That's the best way to put it. They they're just reporting back what's happening, I guess, uh, without any critical analysis or like. Yeah, it's like they don't see that as being their job to like analyze this in any way or 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 decide whether something is fact or fiction or or it's been interesting actually in the United States to see this because obviously the media functions in very in a very similar way there. Uh, but it's been tested so much by the Trump administration who's just so openly belligerent and is just such a brazen <laughs> liar that they like these media guys who who have who have like made very good careers just kind of being this very comfortable position and not really interrogating this stuff too much uh are put in the position where they kind of have to take uh ideological stances or call something uh to a lie if it's uh, if it is a lie and you can tell how fucking uncomfortable a lot of these people are doing that um and then of course they still get framed as being this like you know far left faction of the democratic party as well so there's really no winning yeah like we've seen um like people have to people start squirming to talk about Donald Trump, who like normally would just like to report about the Republican president. But 
he's just like so Don Lemon is one where like he he never used to take stances and now he takes so many stances but it's because he's forced to um it's not because he wants to you can tell the whole time he's uncomfortable um yeah and but Canadian media I don't think that's gonna happen anytime I think okay if we had a conservative like O'Toole let's say O'Toole wins do you think anybody in Canadian media is serious enough person that would that would take that on? Of course not. Because when I mean, Harper it's not was like, in office, I don't know. Yeah, that's what I was just going to bring up. They were just like, he's fine. <laughs> like they were just yeah, like, oh, yeah. he's, he's fine. Like he's he's fine. He's he's just saying what he's saying. <laughs> yeah, or like, or they present things like, oh, he's uh, the Harper government is uh, is like muzzling climate scientists from being able to talk about their findings and the research they do about climate change, but the Harper government says that that's not what they're doing. And so oh, these are yeah. just the two sides and the, we're just presenting what the two sides are saying. And it's up to you, the listener, the viewer to, to come to some determination about what that is. And it's just completely like abdicating any responsibility of like, of holding the people that are in power to account, which is what the, that's, that's to me, that's the function of what the media should be doing is speaking truth to power and making sure you're holding these, these folks accountable. They're completely allergic to it. Yeah, and we saw that this week with uh, the in Alberta, the anti-racism protests and the anti-racism protests where Global News just took these fascists word for it that they were like barbecue organizers. Yeah, it's a community barbecue. How yeah. could you be mad at that? Um, <laughs> and they're like crazy racists. <laughs> Like, yeah, want all yeah. the like all the refugees, immigrants, and Muslims dead. I like was looking more into the group, and I was like, "How as a journalist do you go into the field, and you can obviously tell what these guys are doing? They're like the Oakley glasses fishmen, yeah, um, and and you can openly tell, and then you like like let them self identify, and the guy says community organi- barbecue organizer, and that's what you put as their like name on news yeah. and publicize that to the province." <laughs> yeah well no okay so it speaks to something that i i wanted to bring up too because i wanted to talk to you about the media but specifically the issue about like systemic racism yeah just how it seemed like there was a moment at when these like uprisings started in the united states and it started kind of this uh international conversation about systemic racism and uh and, and people kind of acknowledging that okay this is really a serious problem that exists in our political system uh in our economic system in the media and focusing on kind of canadian media in particular because that's what we've been talking about mm-hmm. it seemed like there was some folks with with media platforms in this country saying like hmm okay i do kind of st- i am starting to understand how we've perpetuated the system and we're going to start taking steps to address this. We're going to take steps to address this in our hiring practices, in the way we, we talk about uh, issues, uh, race-based issues. And it's been a couple months now and it just seems like all that has dissipated and they've just gone right back to the, the playbook from before, uh, like taking these far-right racists at their word, how they describe themselves, not interrogating the stuff in any way beyond just like reporting on, on what each side is saying. Have you noticed that? Like, has there been any improvement on this level or is it, was that just like something that they were kind of briefly considering uh, showing some introspection on and then just like immediately backed away from it? Uh, I, I personally believe there's been no movement on this. Um, I Today I was watching, I want to say CTV, um, and there's an, an anchor who takes in calls and somebody called in who was an anti-masker um, and had a lot of kind of like subtly racist comments. She didn't know how to handle him. And I'm like, in this like in this cult climate right now, like you can't just like 
let that happen on air. Um, I, I also remember when that was happening, um, there were people breaking up how uh, CBC consistently has been anti-Black in its framing of certain events, including um, murders, um, because they do the whole like, oh, but the police said this guy was uh, yeah. aggressive. Uh, and again, blah, that goes blah, back blah. to the seeing them seeing themselves as roles as the like, stenographers for the for the police yeah. or for the government. Yeah, exactly. And and um, that was they said they were going to change their reporting practices. They were going to also implement a, a guide for which images they choose uh, when certain people are profiled or like profiled as a with a pro media profile or like just uh, an incident happens uh, tragic or not tragic. The images they choose and what they choose to show and not show. Um, and after that came out and there was a few of the regulars at CBC who engaged with that, um, there have been multiple incidents where, where, again, the picture used is not the picture that the family would have preferred or that anybody would have preferred. Um, so, I no, I don't think there's any uh, really reforming of these people or their practices. I think it was a nice phase and it was like the black square posting like they that was the media's version of black square posting like they, they put out. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we kind of we kind of realized that all of these people are saying that we do this in this way. So we'll we'll just say we're going to change some media guidelines. And um, there was one place in Canadian media and I don't want to misname it, but I think they purposely hired a new reporter but does that change what the actual reporting or content means like as we know like a warm having a warm body somewhere doesn't necessarily mean that's gonna um result yeah. in kind of a more critical coverage or fair coverage no and we've seen multiple instances where like like people of color in the media if they try mm -hmm. to take a position like that they get they end up getting admonished for it or getting punished for it for like yeah for, or for, losing their column uh, yeah exactly like Desmond this Cole happened. lost his column yeah exactly um yeah. So that's so, been yeah. I, I think that was the frustrating thing. I think earlier on in this pandemic and when the situation was going on, it really felt like, oh, wow, it seems like people are starting to see that there could be a world beyond uh, exploitative capitalism. And oh, it seems like people are starting to understand these issues, these, these profound systemic racism that affects so many people and, and the way that they perpetuate that. And it kind of felt like maybe there was a possibility for these things to change. And now it's a couple months later, and it really feels like that opportunity has started to recede a little bit, which is ex extremely depressing. I think if you were hoping at all that that any kind of profound lesson about the way we can change our society might have been learned by people at that time, it just seems like it's not happening anymore. Yeah, I agree. I don't, I don't, I don't foresee any of these organizations in the Canadian media landscape uh, changing anything now because I think they've been let off the hook, right? Like things have um, calmed down a little bit with the second wave spiking. Um, what is coming the second wave coming now it hasn't spiked yet or peaked yet but um yeah i, I don't think people are I, I don't think it's people's jobs but i don't think anybody's uh following up or checking in on them and i i think it was just all empty promises and um it was fun for them to report at the time but also canadian media was kind of disingenuous about focusing on american uprisings and they, they consistently do that like right now um indigenous people with uh, land back there's two big movements happening right now in Canada, one out east. Um, and notably, Canadian media, the coverage, it hasn't really shifted um, after all of these promises a month ago, two months ago. Yeah. Yeah. The situation with the Mi'kmaq fishermen has been like really dispiriting to see that. 
not, I mean, that would be, that's a perfect example for like opportunity for people in the media in this country to like practice what you've been preaching here uh, and try to present this like in a way that is not this like bending over backwards to appeal to like be present both sides and yeah, to actually like presenting both <laughs> and they've just completely fucking dropped the ball on it yeah have you like how has it affected the work you do and the activism you do because i know you do activism around like abolition and things like this and for a while like i was saying it seemed like this like the idea of abolition police abolition prison abolition was at what once was like a very far-fetched kind of radical idea all of a sudden we're getting like mainstream discourse about what that means mm -hmm. and oh is is that going to lead to any profound kind of impact or change and is is that, if you notice the same kind of thing like is it has that do you feel like the opportunity to uh expand on that has receded a little bit as well yeah i i do like it, it's been exciting it was exciting it was more exciting because i've um I guess I would say I've, you're always learning, but I've been into present abolition since like 2013, I would say. So I'm, I'm a bit like, uh, I don't care if people are new to it, that's fine. But I think um, this was an exciting moment for anybody who's just been a part of that community and organizer for a while, because people, like you said, there was mainstreaming of these words that people did not know before or thought we were like wild and unhinged for saying. Um, but uh, it was exciting for a bit, but now it's kind of like, worse almost <laughs> I think sometimes I talk to some of my friends too because it's like we had the New York Times um published Ruth Gil Wilson Gilmore uh and she, with a defunding the police and when we mean defunding we mean defunding and that was a big moment but uh, it seems like one Canadian media didn't have moments like that but two um the whole conversation is flattened now and it's like everybody thinks they did their job for a month or two after May 25th when George Floyd was murdered um everybody thinks they did their job and uh it's it's over like there it's just like let's just report on corona all the time which is clearly like you need to do that but um the they're back to doing the two sides thing so we're seeing with Mi'kmaq people what they're doing is is very much two sides so they're talking about what are the settlers saying about the fishing and they're talking about what are like white environmentalists saying about um indigenous people fishing and then they're saying this is what indigenous people like they're they're laying out they're they're doing these yeah. constellations uh, that are very unfair. So as like an abolitionist, part of that is also like land back or decolonialism and, and to whatever degree you can do it. Um, that's a more complicated question. But um, how is it affecting my activism? People know the words I say sometimes now, um, but but sometimes they actually don't. There was a lot of misinformation um, and sanitizing of the message. So I've had people be like, oh, but when you say defunding, what you mean is like reform. And I'm like, no, defunding actually means defunding. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, how yeah. do you, where did you learn this? And it's because articles that were being written by people who maybe didn't sit with the work or like understand what defunding looks like or abolition looks like, just framed it into reform. Um, yeah. Because it's comfortable. Reform is very comfortable. Yeah, exactly. And, and everything is in this framing as well of like, oh, you can't talk about defunding the police because then that's going to that's going to invigorate the right. And then they're going to be able to win and you won't win on that message. So if you want to win, you have to water mm -hmm. that down instead mm -hmm. of. And this is this is like talk about an abdication of responsibility by our political class and our media class. Uh, it seems like mainstream uh, politicians, uh, when they take that kind of approach 
to that kind of work and saying like, oh no, we can't, it's a losing message. So we've got to water it down and we've got to like, we've got to just appeal to all these moderate people and just completely giving up on any responsibility to do political education and to just say, Mm -hmm. I I stand for this thing because it's the right thing to do. Here's exactly what it means. And then trying to win people into your camp and changing their, what their perception is of it. Uh, No one seems really interested in doing this kind of work. Uh, instead, it's just it's chasing like uh, focus groups and poll numbers and, mm-hmm. and trying to just like have the most bland message possible in order to win an election instead of doing any work whatsoever to convince people that that what we want to do is actually the right thing. Yeah. And I'm thinking about in Canada, um, the coverage, the media coverage around um, the shooting of Chantel Krupka, who survived a police uh, shooting on Mother's Day and then Ijaz Chaudhry. So both are from my community. So um, I, one was on my podcast, Muslim Rum Springa. Um, Ijaz obviously could not be on my podcast. He died. Um, so he's a, he was an older uncle who um, had mental health concerns and uh, the Peel police shot him multiple times. Um, and there was a call for a public inquiry and uh, the organizing that happened around it uh, was was very like very very thoughtful um it was consistent there was a blockade that happened in Walton uh for a long time but the media coverage from the first three days of the news cycle for both of these individuals was so skewed so so there was media putting out that they think he had a knife they were using the police press reports only they were not using any like of the spokespeople that came for both of their from from both of their families. The lawyers, um, Chantel is alive and speaks at a lot of events. They were not even using her words or when they would interview her for 30 minutes, they would pull out one or two sentences, which is why I had her on my podcast for an hour, um, which was like something that was an ask from some some members of the community. Um, and so uh, the fact that like my like dinky little podcast had to, had to do what the Canadian media was not doing and same with the family of Ijaz Chaudhry, um, it's, it's just, it's like disheartening because that was the moment. Like it wasn't like a year ago or two years ago when we weren't talking about this. It's literally in the middle of this summer of uprisings and Canadian media cannot cover these two individuals in a fair way. Yeah. Like talk about failing, like the basic test uh, that you have to 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 put into practice some of the things you've been saying uh, about about the things you've supposedly learned about about the way that they uphold that that status quo. Um, but yeah, I guess on all this to talk about uh, the media and how much it sucks. That is one thing that I've always felt uh, somewhat encouraged by the fact that I'm able to do the work that I do on this show, and you're doing your you know, the work that you do as well. And there's over the last couple of years, there's been this kind of loose community that started to form where we actually are interested in holding powerful people to account and we actually are interested in advancing a very specific sort of ideological agenda and we're not going to be afraid of that we're not going to buy into the right-wing framing of it that's been really encouraging and that's why exactly that uh, i've gotten involved with starting this podcast network the harbinger media network which i'm actually thrilled that you're also involved with with uh, habib t please um And yeah, I think that's kind of an exciting thing. As much as we can complain about how much the media sucks, Mm -hmm. I think one thing about the Canadian media landscape is that it is, it's so much smaller than in the, than in the United States or the UK or places like this, where there's this big multi-billion dollar sort of media infrastructure. Um, I think it's much easier to create a platform that can actually uh, go toe to toe with any of these like mainstream media outlets or any of the far right outlets. Um, and uh, that's something I'm pretty excited by. Uh, and I'm, I'm, it's cool that I'm happy to be able to work with you on, on that as well. I think there's, there's so many interesting people that are kind of coming together to, uh, to start to work on this project together. It's pretty neat. 
Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. Uh, it's amazing. And I am like grateful that it, I would say Canadian left media is small enough for us to be able to do that in a powerful way that I think can proliferate these like, I guess, counter stories um, and counter storying so much of what we see or like at least filling in the gaps and having an ideological position, right? Like, so not being stenographers, but like, um, so people, people like need some like education, some critical education around how to hold a position, um, and, and how like the post-millennial exists. So like, why, why can't we exist in a way? Um, and let's say the post-millennial, like, is that Andrew Scheer was citing it? Like, I would hope that our quote unquote labor party, the NDP would start using some more of our media um, but it's yes. super exciting. I'm so happy about the people who are involved. There's multiple people I love that are involved. Um, and I, I'm sure it's going to grow. I would hope so, because I think there's a hunger and a desire to have media like this in Canada. I think so. Yeah. I and mean, that's the thing. We've been complaining so much about how the media sucks, but there's also like there's they've left a very sort of like open path that is, that is not really being explored by anyone. And uh, so they've they've left an opening for people to fill that gap. And I think there's many, many people in this country, especially young people that are very like thirsty for something like that to exist and that they're really dying to have these kind of perspectives be become more mainstream. It is an, an interesting opportunity to start to try and fill that gap uh, and start speaking to people that don't really feel like they're represented in any way uh, in, in mainstream media or in the far right media. Uh, so that's something I'm, I'm as, as much as it can be very depressing to sort of uh, observe the media landscape here. That's something I'm pretty excited by. Um, while I still have you here, we've talked a lot about the media and how much it sucks. Uh, I did want to talk about uh, the Green Party a little bit while I still had you, um, because, of course, there was this uh, this uh, this sort of half assed plot for Green Party entryism <laughs> that I and a number of others were sort of. Uh, working on to just join the Green Party and vote in the in the leadership election to try and get um, Miriam Haddad or Dimitri Lascaris elected uh, as Green Party leader, which I think, no matter kind of what you think about the Green Party or their their prospects mm-hmm. as like an electoral party, I think it just would have been good to have a sort of openly left wing, uh, more openly kind of anti imperialist uh, mm-hmm. leader of a major political party as for sort of like a broad. Uh, electoral strategy. Uh, obviously, it did not work. Uh, and, uh, uh, new Green Party. Oh, I should have looked this up ahead of time. Uh, who's the new Green Party leader that got uh, that just got elected? You know, I keep saying her name wrong, and I feel really rude about it. But it's like Anna Anime. But I think it's I keep I keep calling it. It's bad, Paul. Um, I I say it incorrectly. Um, I like actually the Japanese animation. Yeah, but I'm just not, but you know what? I feel bad about saying it incorrectly because people say my name incorrectly. But then yeah, I see her okay. foreign policy. No, but then I see her foreign policy stances, and I'm like, this is fine. Yeah, I'm, you know what? I'm going to continue Muslim. to get your name wrong. Yeah, yeah, but no, it is actually anime. It's, it's, it's yeah, but it's not. I think so. Yeah, it's not spelled like uh, anime, like Japanese, but um, like cartoons or whatnot. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 Anna. M I E Paul and she ran. So I, I saw her running when she ran and um, ran against Bill uh, Morneau uh, in 2019, and she lost horribly. She yeah. she came in fourth place in her riding, which is like whatever. That's it. That's but like now now Elizabeth May is like oh please please like give her the seat. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's racist to run against her now because you're denying that the first woman of color. Um, uh, her 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 rightful place as to have a seat in the in, in parliament, 
And it's just, yeah, it's frustrating that that the possibility to have like a some more eco-socialist leader or more like anti-imperialist leader has just like been watered down to like, um, you know, this kind of very generic ID Paul um, uh, argument that doesn't really I don't see that really advancing any of any leftist interests in any way. Yeah, like Andre Andre Des Moines called it uh, Dollarama id poll, and I like yes. 100% agree. It's Dollarama id poll. Like Dollarama caught a stray, but <laughs> I like Dollarama. But it's uh, it's like disappointing. But also, yeah, more about how the the socialism that people were hoping for through the Greens. I would love to explore that a bit um, because you you were one of the people, right, who did kind of hope for it. But like you said earlier, that yeah, maybe I was try- get- I was trying not to get too get my hopes up about it because I don't, you know, I don't, the Green Party is not really a left-wing party. They don't really have a left-wing electorate or an electoral uh, constituency. But I just thought maybe having someone like that steering the party would have like led to good things, could maybe have led them to appeal to different people or or a different kind of electorate uh, to maybe maybe, uh, inspire them to form some kind of coalition with the NDP that could possibly expand uh, left power electorally. So I thought there was a, some interesting possibilities about it, but I was also trying not to get too um, too crazy about the, the the wonderful possibilities of it. Yeah, well, I guess the big uh, the big thing with the Green Party was uh, that conserv- the conservatives on bicycles kind of line, but um, Miriam and Dimitri presented this idea of saying they were socialists that hasn't happened in Canada for a bit, so it was exciting um, to see that. But what happened was there was just a lot of corruption and rigging, in my opinion, and that party just doesn't want to grow. Um, That's my take on it. But I think the NDP, um, I don't know. Can you reform parties? Who knows? Yeah, I guess that's kind of what we're we're all kind of trying to figure out right now. Um, That's my last guest on the show, uh, Martin Lukacs. He basically... You know, he said like, yeah, okay, take out a membership in the Green Party and vote in the election. But I think the best the best possibility for like meaningfully being able to push a major party left in Canada is still going to be the NDP. There's way more of like an infrastructure in place there. There's actual Mm -hmm. like ties to labor. There's actually like left wing activists that are involved with it. And um, I guess that's the part I find tough. It's like the NDP has failed in a number of ways to, I think, live up to that idea I would like to believe it's possible for like actual leftists to take over the party. Certainly it's more likely to take over the NDP than it would be to like take over the liberal party or like, as we saw in in America to take over the democratic party Mm -hmm. or in the UK, the labor party. I think there's like more of an opportunity there, but I think just in general, my, my faith in what we can achieve through electoralism at all has been shaken a little bit. And, uh, as much as I want to believe that's possible, I'm not, I'm a little bit disillusioned about it. I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to think now. I don't know if you like I was I the the day that anime won, I'm just going to call her that um, she hates the Middle East. Um, so whatever, I guess it's reparations for me and my people. Yeah. But uh, but uh, the day she won, I kind of like lost it a little bit um, on the Internet where I get mad with my friends online. And I was just like, there's no reforming this party. There is there is no like reforming at all. Like what Elizabeth May is doing right now is like unhinged. But also, um, I like what Quebec has going on, and I know it's different. And I've been it's been pointed out to me by people when I was like losing it um, with Quebec Solidaire um, and how that party I can can be left, but I know they're not 
they're not federal. And I was just like, can Ontario just do something like that? Like, I think that there is a hunger in Ontario for some type of socialism or independent kind of small candidates. And if we could just run like popular young people in certain ridings, I think we could flip some seats. But I don't know if that's like a wild idea. But like, I've been asked to like run before um, with a certain party in this country. And I've always said no, because I just can't get behind that. Um, But I would run independently, but I, I don't think I should be a politician. But um, yeah, I think I think there's other people who should do it, and I'd love to help them. Uh, I know how to write speeches and campaign and canvas, but I don't know. Like, is it about making having a few young independents who are super progressive run in very specific writings where they could flip a seat? Yeah, I mean that that could be one strategy that actually makes sense. Like that could actually, you know, that could be easier than than taking the NDP, which has just proved time and time again that they're not really interested in going down that road and that they see themselves more as being like a left liberal party. Um, you know, eventually we're going to have to just like take no for an answer when it comes to that stuff uh, if we're on the left and just start trying to create our own sort of uh, electoral infrastructure. But, you know, that's that's also a big project in and of itself. Yeah. But I, I like I, if COVID wasn't happening, I wonder like if. You pick certain writings where somebody like door knocked enough and could be like a kind of a young AOC type Joe Crawley situation. I wonder if it would work like not not with running within a party, but just like, I don't know, Nikki Ashton ran against another NDP member in her first election and won. Um, yeah. Or they got split or something. And then, and then she she what? But she won the riding vote. Anyways, anyways, Nikki is like an inspiring example to me um, about how you can you can get rid of an older person who has uh, conservative values, even though they're in this party. So so to me, the NDP is the path in. And I think the Greens, it was a nice, it was fun. It was nice. Uh, they invigorated a lot of young people, but they also have upset a lot of young people now. And there's something we could do with that energy, I think. Yeah, I think, yeah, when it comes to like the media, like we've been talking about or politics, there's really like, a, uh, I think, a large constituency in this country that's just not being served. They're not being served by the by the media that's there. They're not being served by the political establishment that that's there. And they're, they're sure that there's a way to harness that energy, especially around like climate stuff. When we see the Liberal Party continually like uh, go backwards on what they're saying, we're, we're not seeing enough of a forceful uh, position from the NDP or from the Green Party. Mm-hmm. That, that should be their whole fucking job. Yeah. <laughs> um, and for young people that are facing a really uncertain future about the climate and the, and whether this planet is going to continue to be habitable to the extent that it is now. I mean, this is not just like a little political issue that a pet political project that people are into, but this is life or death for a whole generation of people. And I'm sure that that energy could be harnessed um, because otherwise it's just going to turn into like sort of black pill uh, doomerism, which is not going to spell good things for anybody. Um, So I would like to see that be harnessed somehow. Uh, I guess I'm trying to do my little part by doing my dumb podcast and and, and, uh, trying to do what I can to create sort of a a media infrastructure that can maybe harness it a little bit. But uh, there's, there's clearly a lot more work that has to be done about it. Yeah, well, I don't think you're doing a dumb little part, but um, you sh- you're selling yourself short. You're very self-critical. Thank you. but we I was fishing are. for compliments, actually. Uh, so, yeah. Um, thank you for that. But, but, um, <laughs> but I, I think there's something in this moment, and I need to do my own homework with Quebec Solidaire and look into that, what, more of that. And if people are listening to this, I'm putting out an episode with uh, Miriam. Uh, I need to finish editing it. But her and I talked a little bit about that. Um, I, I think... I would like do a blueprint in Ontario in certain places and see what happens where there are kind of some NDP members who are older or don't get seats all the time, not to target the NDP, but 
um, just running some young independents or like people who are independents who have some community connections. Cause I think you can win a seat. Like Jessica C. Sanero came very close in Texas. Um, and I, I think it's inspiring not to be like U S centric, but like, I, I think it's inspiring. I think it can happen. I just think, um, money is an issue obviously when you're running as an independent, but if it wasn't for COVID, I, I think as a community organizer, I would have actually tried to run maybe, um, because I know enough community groups that would have endorsed me. Yeah. Which could change, which could change the game. And I know, and I know other I would people endorse you. who could have done the same thing. You would have endorsed me. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> you would have, you would have probably. If you ever, me. if you ever change your mind with my, 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 Maybe, I'm an or, influencer. So that'd be very exciting for you. So. <laughs> yeah. You were an influencer. And I, but I, I think, I think we need to like have better conversations exactly about, about who can endorse who. And like, I think having, I think, to be honest, and this might sound vain, you and I both have more followers, quote unquote, on the Internet than um, a lot of these politicians do when they run. So I think that coupled with on the ground work um, means that we can actually move things a bit left if we really want to. Yeah. Um, I I will admit that it's something that has at least crossed my mind before. I don't think I could ever really run for anything where I am now in Quebec because everything's so uh, French oriented. And I would never really feel comfortable like that. And I also just in the district that I live, it would be pretty much impossible. I feel like if I lived in like Hamilton or something, I could probably at the very least create a big media shitstorm if I tried to uh, if I tried to do that. But I, I don't know. I don't think I'm cut out for the political life, really. I think this is probably more my my milieu that I'm comfortable in. Yeah, I, I don't think just I'm just like talking shit. I don't know. I don't think I'm cut out for it, but I feel like we would be worthy in it. Maybe maybe that's just me like self-soothing from what other people have said. But um, I think we need to scare some people like I don't necessarily need to win. But um, there's there's moments where somebody who's more left running makes the other person shift. So we see that in Minneapolis recently with um, in uh, District 62, where the guy didn't want to endorse the 27 year incumbent, didn't want to endorse fight for 15. But he did it because a random like left kid ran. And endorsed yeah. endorsed fight for fifteen. Sorry, yeah. So like it's it's like this guy would not endorse fight for fifteen until somebody else ran who was endorsing it. And I think that we could I think we could do that here. Like we could just scare them into going a little bit more left, even if we lose. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And yeah, that is. I think that is an interesting lesson from the United States right now. Um, how it seems like every election cycle, some like multi-decade-long incumbent is being overthrown by a, a young sort of upstart progressive person, and you're seeing that like you know even if you might not have faith in electoralism, uh, you're seeing how that's a strategy that you can see start to pay dividends over time, as that turns from like one from like AOC and Ilhan Omar into like a more like a serious caucus with like. A few dozen people and how that can really start to change things and also then frighten establishment people into like doing the right thing because they don't want to have the same thing happen to them. Um, I guess the concern is that when you talk about like the climate and the upcoming climate crisis and like the time left on the clock to like profoundly change our entire economic system and way of life, it seems like this is more of an electoral strategy that's going to play out over the next couple of decades, mm-hmm. which I'm not sure we have that amount of time. Uh, so that's that's kind of a whole other problem. But I do think that there is merit to that strategy and uh, and trying to do that. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. Like if, if I like run and activate my big account and I have people like you and other people and I say defund the Mississippi appeal police. Yeah, maybe the person who's uh, the liberal in this writing has to has to kind of budge on it more than he was before. But, or at least talk about it. Yeah, or at least talk about it. Like it, the the conversation enters the arena, which is like kind of what 
I view as like my biggest strength is like, yeah, I also don't think I, I'm maybe cut out to be a politician, but I'm, I think I'm cut out to like provoke what conversations should be in the arena. And a lot of us are cut out for that. It's not just me. It's, it's yeah, many I, of us I, I on think, the left. I think I agree with that too. Um, many yeah. of us on the left have these ideas and we can operationalize them. But the issue is like the, the strategy behind it. And to me, the strategy right now is if it wasn't for Corona, I think 2022, many should have meant should be running um, in some capacity just to push what topics are discussed in like these like mini virtual town halls. Yeah. Well, this is something to keep in mind. Yeah, uh, kind of wild, but yeah, Rob for, Rob for prime minister. <laughs> Gets, <laughs> many, many are saying this. Many are saying more that. and more people. You're hearing it more and more. Hi, friends and haters. Hope you enjoyed that collaboration with Rob Rousseau of 49th Parallel. If you enjoyed his content, I'd support him on Patreon, something I've been pushing. Uh, clearly, I am a supportive friend, a friend and supportive foe even. But anyways, Patreon forward slash Rob Rousseau. Thanks for listening. He also has a podcast with Jordan UHL. Uh, I'm not pronouncing that. Uh, called The Insurgents. I would subscribe to them on Substack. Uh, so thanks for listening. We really appreciate it here. Bye. Have a good day. These episodes take a small team. Many episodes are hosted by Nashalina Khan solo. Political episodes co-hosted by Ryan Deshpande. Art and music by Post America. Editing and music by Johnny Zapras. Production assistance by Raymond Conano. Consider giving to us on Patreon to help fuel our team with chai and other fun things at Patreon forward slash Habibti Please. And find us on Twitter at Habibti Please with a B 